The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Okay, so we're in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 24. We were in this last year. So I'm going to go back a little bit and revisit uh, some of the verses we were in. So we're going to start in verse 15, which talks about the abomination of desolation. And, and you know, we're not, we're not covering a lot of verses, um, but what we're covering are very important verses for you to know and to understand. So let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that we might hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today, at this hour, in this moment, And this year, for such a time as this, that we could hear your voice clearly. We need, Lord, to walk in intimacy with you. Uh, We need to know our identity in Christ Jesus and the calling that is upon our lives, the race that is set before us, the divine destiny that you have called us to walk in and to fulfill. Everyone has a divine call upon their life. We're not just, you know, happily living and waiting, as it were, to get to heaven. Uh, But, Lord, every day is to be lived with intention and with purpose and with gifts and with callings. And, Lord, for the remnant, uh, and there are so many that are lost in this world today. Lord, we pray for their salvation. We pray that you would open their eyes, their ears, their spirit, their heart, and even that some today would be saved and call upon the name of Jesus. So may we hear what the Spirit would say to us in Jesus' mighty, wonderful name we pray, and everyone said, amen. So I want to start, before we even read uh, verse 15, I want to begin with this. The, The two regatherings of Israel speak of two comings of the Messiah. So in the Bible… Uh, it, it is prophesied and it is talked about that there will not just be one scattering of Israel and regathering of them, there will be two. The first one, after David, um, you know, he said, Lord, I want to build you a house. And God said, well, David, I love that you want to build me a house, but I can't allow you to build it because you're a man with blood on your hands. And then God turned around. It's so beautiful. I love it that, um, can you imagine? I mean, David, he was such a neat man. Uh, He he was a a very unique leader because he was really a spiritual guy. He was a worship leader. He started as a shepherd boy, and God did great exploits through him. He worshiped God passionately. And God honored that. And, and then God says, yeah, you know, David, you can't build me a house. And then God turned it around. He said, but David, I'm going to build you a house. I'm, I have chosen your family. Through your family, my son will come. And so the family of the Messiah, of Jesus, would come from the line of David. But his son Solomon, you know, David got all those supplies and he stored it all up. And uh, David's son Solomon built the temple, but then they went into rebellion. God warned them, do not worship idols, don't follow false gods, but they did anyway, and then their enemies came and they destroyed 
Um, and about 536 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar came and they destroyed the Babylonians, the temple. And the Jews were taken into captivity uh, to Babylon, the capital of idolatry. It was as if God said, okay, you're killing me. You're breaking my heart. You don't love me anymore. You love idols. Fine. Go live in the capital of idolatry for 70 years and see how you like it. I will cure you of idolatry. So, but he limited it to seven years. And then he began to prophesy, I will bring you back. I'm not going to give up on you. I will bring you back and I will regather you. And you will rebuild the temple. It won't be as big and as beautiful as Solomon's. But do not despise this renewed temple for a greater glory shall come to this temple that you are rebuilding. So the whole purpose of the regathering, the first regathering of the Jews, and the first rebuilding of the temple was in preparation for the first coming of the Messiah. But then, uh, you know, 70 AD, uh, they had rejected Jesus. Titus, the Roman general, came in with the Roman, and, and they destroyed Jerusalem. They tore the temple down. Not one stone is left on top of another. And then God said, now, I'm not going to just scatter you to Babylon. I'm going to scatter you to the four winds, to the four corners of the earth. So the Jewish people were scattered. But God said a second time, and this has never happened to any other people in the history of the human race. And God said this would happen. He predicted it would happen, and it did happen, and it's happened twice that they would be regathered. So read with me Isaiah 11, verse 11. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left. That just happened in May 14th, 1948. God took the Jewish people and he planted them back in their own land. But there's something even bigger. What is the significance of this second regathering? The significance is that the second regathering is in preparation for the second coming of the Messiah. You and I are alive and live in times that literally for almost 2,000 years, for mo the majority of the history of the church, there was no Israel. What was God doing prophetically? And that's why the church spiritualized everything. Oh, it doesn't really mean Israel. It's just the church, and it's all about us. And no, actually, no, it wasn't. God was not finished. God was not done. And so this is a part of what God is doing. Now, here's what's, what's very uh, amazing. In our headlines in just the last few days, I mean, you know, I just gave my year-end message, um, you know, at the very last weekend of December going into the new year. By, by the way, the, the word for this year is prepare. And it's not only a word for the 2020, it is a word for the decade. I'm telling you, get ready. This is what I keep hearing from the Lord. Prepare, get ready, because you can't even begin to imagine what you are going to see. We are blessed, we are privileged to see the things that we're going to see. And now God's giving me all these scriptures with the word prepare in it. Here's one. Eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those 
who love him. I mean, we're going to see some incredible things. But it, just in the last few days. So I just gave that word, man, prepare. Man, it's, it's coming. And now all of a sudden, we, we, our military takes out an uh, Iranian general named Qasem Soleimani, the head of the Quds forces, that he killed thousands of their own people, the Iranians, sadly, let alone Americans, as well as others. So anyway, that decision was made, and now the headlines are going boom, boom, you know, all over the place, and reaction all over the world, and what's happening. But what was also interesting is it said, what's trending online around the world right now at this hour? World War III. People are freaking out. Well, I just want to say this. Um, while people are looking, you know, worried, rightfully, what in the world is to come, the Bible gives us the only lens through which we can understand and interpret the times in which we live. And I'm telling you, when you get into the Bible at the very center of God's plans for the world and for world history is the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. God's purpose and plan for them was that it wasn't to end with them, it began with them, and through them came Jesus, and through Jesus comes the salvation of all the nations of the earth. Everyone can be saved through Him. So we are living in some very, very exciting times. Um, okay, let's go on to verses 15 through 21. Uh, Jesus says, we need to understand the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. So, uh, let's see, I've got to get Matthew 24. I'd move my notes. Okay, so Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 15, therefore, Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. I want you to notice Jesus' very specific instructions here. When you see this happen in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount, those who read it understand, um, and if you're in Judea, flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. So as Jesus gives this sign and he's warning about, you know, the... the uh, abomination of desolation. His instructions are very specific. And I want to just say this because I know that there are people like here in America, they read this and go, oh, no, we got to, man, we got to run to the hills, we got to dig holes, we got to bury food, we got to survive in that way. And I, I want to just say, if you look very plainly and carefully what Jesus is warning, he's warning believers who are in Jerusalem at the time the abomination of desolation happens, and therefore pray that it's not in winter. Well, if you're in San Diego, winter's not that bad. I mean, you know, today is a nice day in January. 
But did you know that winter in Israel, about every third year, it snows even in Jerusalem, and it's hard to travel. And by the way, the one who's going to do this abomination of desolation is a person identified in the Bible as the Antichrist. Everybody say Antichrist. Antichrist means instead of Christ. And this character who is coming, and I believe could be alive right now on the scene somewhere, and what he plays a role in is to help bring about a peace deal with Israel. So this is a critical sign mentioned in this chapter, the abomination of desolation. So we're going to give some scriptures to talk about it. What is it? Number one, it is the sign of the consummation of all things. And it comes from the prophet Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Let's read it out loud. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. The Antichrist will be part of a group uh, that will make a peace covenant, and the week, it's a Hebrew word that means seven. So it's a seven-year somehow, a seven-year peace deal. And, you know, it might have various triggers, like the first year we're going to accomplish this, second year that, whatever, but it makes its way on out to seven years. And he confirms that covenant but in the middle of the week, he brings an end to sacrifice and to offering. Now, here's what I believe that we need to be praying and, and getting ready for. There, there has already been talk about a peace plan uh, that they, you know, keep wanting to bring out and unfold, but it's not yet the right time, and now elections have come up this, that are happening this year a very important one that is going to be happening in March in Israel. And, by, and I think we need to pray, Lord, you know, they, they, this is their third election. They've been divided in half. They can't move forward. They can't come, you know, they're, they're, everything is unsettled there. So we are commanded in Psalm 122, verse 6, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We need to pray, God, bring peace to them and let them be able to move forward. We also will have an important election for us as well. But I believe that after those two elections get done, especially in Israel and America, I believe that peace plan will begin to be unfolded. And here's an interesting thing that I, I just want to plant this little seed in your mind. Um, okay, so let's say they start talking about and working out the details of a peace plan. That, that's a sign not only from Daniel, but also in the book of Revelation. I mean, we're basically talking about the end times. You understand that, yes? When they start talking about that. Because whatever, and I love peace. I want peace. I, I can't wait for them to make a peace deal. Sadly, whatever peace deal they make will not be God's peace plan. Ultimately, God's peace plan would be for every leader of every nation on planet Earth to say, you know what? We don't know how to do it, but we're going to bend our knee 
And we're going to confess Jesus Christ is Lord and ask you to come back and, and bring peace. But they're going to do their own deal. They're going to do their best. And it's, it's going to be a compromise one way or another. And one way or another, it's going to divide the land of Israel. And that's what ultimately is going to bring uh, the end. It is going to bring the coming again of the Lord. But here's what's interesting. I think that um, in 1967, uh, which was the Six-Day War, which is, mind, I mean, it's mind-boggling. Who, you know, we have been in Afghanistan for how many years? We've been in Iraq, and we've been in all over these countries in the Middle East, you know, for so many years. Who's ever heard of a war in modern times with modern weapons that lasted six days? Well, it happened in 1967. And amazingly, with the country that's most unique, Israel, by the end of the sixth day, they were screaming, every political leader around the world, begging Israel to stop. Because in just six days, they had captured the Golan Heights, the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, and East Jerusalem. The significance of East Jerusalem is because they, they're always talking about, let's give half you know, to one side and half to the other side. You can't do that to uh, Jerusalem, and here's why. How many holy sites are in East Jerusalem? All of them. 100% of them. You can't, you can't divide that in half. So they, they recaptured that. Uh, but uh, Moshe Dayan, do you remember the general Moshe Dayan? He was the general, the Israeli general that had an eye patch, if you remember seeing him. He made a decision, he said, to avert World War III. Look, we conquered Jerusalem, we control the Temple Mount, but we will let every religious site, you know, whatever religion it belongs to, they contain, you know, continue it. Well, at that time, Jordan contained or controlled the Temple Mount. So to this day, Jordan oversees that particular area. I think that a change is coming. And I think in the, the change that will come is that um, it will be taken from Jordan. Not that Jordan has done a bad job, but... Uh, I believe that it will be shifted to Saudi Arabia. Why Saudi Arabia? Because Saudi Arabia, uh, if you want to talk about the Muslim world and the Muslim holy sites and the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque and so forth, um, they're, they're the leading nation for the, you know, 85% of the Muslims in the world are Sunni uh, Islam, and that is, the head of that is Saudi Arabia. That's where Mecca and Medina are. So I believe that in this, at some point, a transfer will go from Jordan, which is its own country, but they're kind of the kingpins for the Islamic world. And interestingly, Saudi Arabia will be able to say, look, we can live with a Jewish state. As the head of the Muslim world, we can live with that. We could even live with them having a place of worship there. Why? Why would Saudi Arabia begin changing its tone toward Israel? Because Saudi Arabia needs somebody as a regional partner uh, because there's someone in the crosshairs, uh, Saudi Arabia, and that is the other side of Islam. It's only 15% of their population, but mainly it's the country of Iran. And Iran is wanting to get nuclear weapons. 
And the fear is if I were to ask you, well, you know, if Iran gets nuclear weapons, who's, who's the first one on their target list? Oh, Israel. No. Oh, America maybe. That. No. Number one is Saudi Arabia. Because their desire from the 15%, they have a totally different theology. We don't have time to go into it. But I mean, the, the other side of the pole of how they view eschatology, end times. Did you guys know Islam has its own end times theology that they think is playing out right now in their own minds? So we're going to see how it all really works out. I'm landing with the Bible that it's all going to come exactly as God says. But I believe that Saudi Arabia, uh, they want protection from uh, Shia, Iran, and who is the closest neighbor to them that has nuclear weapons and who also happens to be a target? Israel. So I believe that Saudi Arabia is going to say, you know, we could live with Israel. We can live with the Jews. They have nuclear weapons. They could help us. Yeah, we'll give them a little place to worship on the Temple Mount. It's going to be very interesting. So uh, let's go on. It is the... Abomination of desolation is the revelation of the man of sin. This is what this guy is called. This is this guy that's coming who could be alive and on the earth today is worse than any other human being that has ever walked on planet earth. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. Let's read it. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So this guy, you know, they work out a peace deal. The second thing after the peace deal is, okay, now we'll let the Jews have a place where they can worship their God. And what, is, what do the Orthodox Jews want to do more than anything else? They want to start doing sacrifices. Now, sacrifices are happening in different religions and around the world. You never hear about it. Nobody ever says anything about it. But if they start sacrificing and shedding the blood of animals on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, how many of you know the world's going to scream their heads off? And it will go on for three and a half years. The Antichrist will be the world's hero when he finally comes and says, enough of this nonsense, we're done with that. And then instead of pointing to the sacrifice and what that symbolizes and means, ultimately, which points to Jesus and what he has already done, he points to himself. And that moment where he points to himself, I am the one that has saved the world. I am the one that has brought the world from the brink of utter annihilation. And he stands in the temple of God and he wants to be worshipped. In fact, look at this next one. Here's also the abomination of desolation. It is the image of what the Bible calls him, a beast. People in the world will say, wow, this guy is amazing. He's incredible. It's kind of like there's one world, there's one politic, there's one religion, and it's this guy. But the Bible says this man is a beast. Revelation chapter 13, verse 13, let's read it. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. 
and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. And we don't have time to go into all the details, but there are other scriptures along with this one at the very end which says, apparently, the world is so fragile and so, it's so explosive, somebody tries to assassinate this Antichrist hero guy. And it says he gets blinded in one eye, and then he gets shot, and, and his arm is withered, and it's like he dies. I, you know, I remember I was a little boy when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And, and it just, you know, I was a little guy, but I could just feel the whole nation grieving and groaning. And, you know, but then there were these weird reports that started coming out. No, Kennedy's alive or he's here. And they took him to this island and they're going to, you know, it was what people wanted, but it wasn't true. But what if somebody that was for a season very popular, they shot him, they killed him, he's dead. Whoa, he's resuscitated or resurrected or he's alive, he's back. I think that's what's going to happen with this character, the Antichrist. I believe, and it's halfway through that seven-year peace deal where he stops the sacrifices that they have allowed to come, and I believe that uh, it is that moment that the devil himself is, you know, because the book of Revelation says at a certain point the devil's kicked out of heaven. He comes down to the earth. I believe that's the moment that he actually enters the Antichrist just like he entered Judas the night that he went to betray Jesus, he'll enter into this man. And that's why there's hell on earth for three and a half years. And that's what leads us into the next marker of the abomination of desolation. It is the precise marker for the days to the end. Now you know you got three and a half years. So Daniel chapter 12, verse 11, let's read it. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there should be 1,290 days. So uh, all of these things are coming together. Now, I, I don't want to go into many more details uh, of all these scriptures. I just wanted to give them all to you. We put them together. We kind of look at them. Um, but I, want to, I don't want to go too far because I like what my pastor Chuck Smith said about prophecy. Prophecy's best understood after it's happened, yeah? So why speculate too much? I mean, we got these things, many of the prophecies of the first coming of Jesus, you know, that you couldn't fully understand the prophecy until, oh, oh, so that's how it was, and that was the star, and that was Bethlehem, and that's how they went down from Nazareth, and everything, you kind of see it lived out, you have understanding. But I, I want you to be aware of it. So let's close with verses 21 and 22, because coming after the abomination of desolation is immediately followed by the great tribulation, which lasts exactly three and a half years. So beginning in verse um, 21, it says, For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Um, this is the great tribulation. 
And apparently Israel's going to go through some very, very challenging times. We need to especially pray for our believing brothers and sisters who live there when this happens. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, let's read it. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So to be clear, those last three and a half years called the Great Tribulation will be the worse than any there have been from the beginning of the world until now. So great and so devastating will those days be that unless the time is supernaturally limited, Jesus said no one would even survive. But something wonderful will happen at the very end. God will shorten the days. Can I hear an amen on that? I'm, I'm good with that. Our God is a dramatic God. So in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, let's read it. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. Did you know that there is a book that has names in it and that the only way you get into heaven is that your name is written in that book and it's called the book of life. So you want to make sure that your, your one goal and one mission on life before you breathe your last and take your last breath is that you know your name is written on the Lamb's Book of Life. And in a few moments, I'm going to share with you how you can do that. But let's close uh, by Jesus' last exhortation, verses 23 through 26. Do not be led astray by false prophets. Now, this is in light of the false prophets who will arise literally during those last three and a half years. A lot of people will arise and start trying to lead people into some very, very strange things. Um, and it will be right at the very end. So verse 23, then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false messiahs, false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. So we know where Jesus is. Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. He went to the Mount of Olives. He ascended up into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And when he comes, there'll be no mistake about it. Every eye shall see him, and he will light up the sky like the golden sun. In fact, he will be, listen to this, brighter than the sun by seven times. In other words, you won't be able to see the sun when you look at the brightness and the brilliance of Jesus Christ. That's how bright it will be. There's no mistake about it. There's nothing hidden about it. And ultimately, every human being, all seven billion people on this planet, get ready because we will face him. And every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess Jesus is Lord. But you need to do it now because when you do it now, your name gets written in the Lamb's book of life. Can I hear an amen? 
Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.